listening to Rising Above with Becky Davidson. I think it's okay to sit in that moment and to feel the emotion of this isn't how I thought this was supposed to go, but to collect yourself after that and say, but I can't just stop here. Welcome to Rising Above with Becky Davidson, where we hear from special needs families who rise above difficult circumstances and discover that joy can be found in every story. Thank you for joining us. Here's your host, Becky Davidson. Hey friends, thanks so much for joining us this week. I am so glad that you are here. Have you checked out Wednesday Wake Up yet? That is something that we brought back this year at the ministry. And every Wednesday, there'll be a new encouraging video that is released by either someone here at the team at Rising Above, someone who's a champion for special needs families, and also from some of our families around the world. So on Wednesday mornings, be sure to check out either in your inbox or on our social media platforms, and you will find an encouraging word to get your day started on Wednesday. So be sure to check that out. I'm joined today on the podcast by Janetta Bryant of Abilities Workshop. And Janetta began her journey into the disability space when her daughter received a diagnosis several years ago. This inspired Janetta to become an advocate, an author, and speaker. She has written books, developed learning apps, and founded a nonprofit organization to provide resources and support for families in need. We had a great conversation, and I know that you're going to enjoy getting to hear about Janetta and her work at Abilities Workshop. Hey, Janetta, how are you today? I am so well. I'm so glad to be on here. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm excited to get to have this conversation with you. We met, goodness, it's been probably what, Four, three, four years. I think that it's almost ago now. Yeah, it's at least four. Isn't so, that crazy? In a minute. Yeah, you, you reached out, and I got to be part of an event that you were doing, and we can talk more about that later. But that's how we got acquainted, and then got, we've met at a conference before. But this is the first time I've gotten to really know more about your story, about your background. So I'm excited to get to have this conversation with you. Likewise, I'm glad to be here. It'll be fun. Well, so. Just introduce yourself to our audience. Tell us a little bit about you, where you live, and uh, just just kind of that brief little elevator pitch of your story and your family. Sure. So I am a, um, how do I want to put this? I'm first a child of God, right? And then I'm also a wife and a mom. And then I have a nonprofit. So life always comes first and work comes second. But I've been really fortunate to be able to experience having a purpose in what I do every day, just like you do. So our daughter, Lindsay, was diagnosed with autism fairly early on. We knew that there was something going wrong um, in her developmental milestones around the age of 18 months. By two, we knew that there were some different flags happening and we got her formal diagnosis at three. And at three, it was, she has ADD, ADHD. She has expressive language disorder, regressive language disorder, hypotonia, and autism. And they went on to give us a list of nevers. They said, she'll Mm. never be able to, and it was She'll never be able to have um, friends or social or academic gains. She'll never be able to speak again. She'll never, never, never. And the list was lengthy. You know, I think I kind of zoned out a little bit in the middle of it because it's a gut punch. And honestly, I walked out of that 
developmental pediatrician's office that day, still having to look up what autism was. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was Googling it on my phone going, how is this a death sentence? Because that's what it sounded like to me, right? Mm -hmm. Like you just told me that all of the future and all of the hope and everything that I wanted for my daughter wasn't going to be obtainable. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to understand what fight I had just signed up for because the idea of never just didn't seem to you know, go real mm-hmm. well in my mind. It wasn't going to be a never story. Yeah, It's funny, you know, as I've told our story and as we've dived into helping other families, you hear the same type of thing. And the parents that resonate with me the best, and I think the ones that get my story the best, we all hear different words in that moment. When they say your child's never, I feel like those are the moments that there's somebody in my head that's saying challenge accepted. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't rest at the idea of saying that my kid can't ever do. And that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that I need to completely cure everything or fix everything, but it does mean that I want my kid to have a meaningful, good life to be able to contribute mm-hmm. as much as she can to society. And I'm not going to give up on her just because of a diagnosis. So right. We were very fortunate. Our story is very much a God story. I got that diagnosis, and at the time I was working in the corporate world. And the very next day, I had an interview at the end of the day, you know, that I was interviewing folks all day long. She comes around the corner and she's far overqualified. I knew it from the moment she turned the corner. And she sits down, and somehow or another, I divulged to this perfect stranger that my daughter had had a diagnosis the day before. And she goes, Oh, She goes, my son has autism. I've written a book on it. Here's what you need to do. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And I just find it to be so entertaining because her name was Mary. So God literally sent Mary to my office, right? (laughs) He sent her to me. We sat down. We started having a conversation. And sure enough, it's two or three hours later before we're done. And she tells me, these are the things you need to start looking into. And so we start looking into things and we start working on things. And we start seeing Lindsay make progress. And it was moments like that that got sprinkled into our life. I'm obviously not shy. So I'm talking to people in the waiting rooms and I'm talking to people in parking lots and I'm on Facebook until two o'clock in the morning and I'm looking up things on my computer. And then there's words I don't understand that I'm looking up on my phone. And, and ultimately God just sprinkled all these different moments in there to change Lindsay's trajectory. You know, she Mm -hmm. went from the child that was never going to talk again to the child that I have to tell hush most nights in the kitchen, right? Like it's just a far cry from where we've been. Mm. And I felt like it was our privilege, but also our responsibility to pay that forward. That Mm -hmm. we had found enough hope and encouragement and we had found enough um, success that we needed to tell that next wave of parents that were going to be getting these diagnoses that all hope isn't lost. Mm -hmm. that there are resources along the way, that our kids can be more than what we're told they can do. And we needed to be able to formulate that in a way that they could just get that diagnosis. And it's fine. Get the diagnosis. Don't be scared of that. But get that diagnosis, but then arm yourself with good information and understanding exactly what it looks like to navigate this world because, you know, it's tough. Yeah, it is tough. And, you know, I've often said, you know, only God is going to say what our kids can and cannot do. I mean, a doctor may say they'll never do this, they'll never do that, but ultimately God's the one who's going to determine yeah. the future of our kids. And I think for you, it's, you know, obviously your personality is like a, you know, like you like you said challenge accepted. You know, the mama bear for <laughs> sure came out and uh and and but that changed the trajectory, you know, of for your daughter and your story and then learning how to help other people 
navigate this journey. So tell us about your daughter today. How old is she? What does her day-to-day look like? So Lindsay is now 13 and she is just thriving and doing exceptionally well. But I have to paint the story of where she was initially so that you can appreciate where she is now. So for all of the parents that are out there that can identify with this, when Lindsay was three, all she did was point, scream and run. So we didn't have eye contact. Mm -hmm. We didn't have words. We had a lot of screaming. We had a lot of pointing and a lot of running. I was skinnier back then. <laughs> like all we did was run. And it was the, chase. Lots of chasing going on. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. And so to go from that and, you know, some of your audience might be familiar, but there is a score that is called an ATEC score. That's the Autism Treatment and Evaluation Checklist. It's in 21 different languages and you can access it for free online. But it's a subject objective questionnaire. And the reason that I encourage people to do this is because in the day-to-day life, you kind of lose those milestones of what your child's able to do and when they were able to do it. And so if you take that questionnaire and then you do it every six months, you're able to start seeing some of the progress that they might have been able to gain with whatever therapy they've just tried or whatever new diet they've just tried or whatever new supplement or medication, whatever it might be, you'll be able to start tracking those gains more easily. Um, I'm an analytical person when it comes to numbers and such, so it made sense for me. But to be fair, it goes over 100. So when their symptoms are really high, when they're doing a lot of symptomatic behavior associated with autism, the numbers go way over 100. But, you know, the closer to zero, the closer to neurotypical behaviors. So Lindsay's height of her symptoms, she was a 98. And today she is a 2. And so she is... um, She's doing well with her classmates. She's doing well with having different friendships. She has ice skated and water skied and horseback rode. And she has, um, gosh, she's done all of the I Can Bike camps. And, you know, I mean, there's really not anything that she's not up for the adventure of. It's funny because I still think that her default setting is to yell. (laughs) <laughs> when she's uncertain about something, <laughs> but you know, after after that momentary second of her just feeling like ah, I'm out of control, she kind of pulls it back yeah. together. But she's um, she's just an absolute pleasure to be able to be her mom because you get mm-hmm. to see things through a unique perspective. And she doesn't care about what mm-hmm. anybody thinks ever. You know, I think that most of us can identify that with our kids. Like we have to teach them to care a little bit more because <laughs> she is just uniquely her all the time. She is so much fun to be around, but she also likes the villains um, of the different shows. She has a real affinity yeah. with bad guys, which is only a little bit terrifying going into her teenage years. <laughs> uh, She's a front, we'll see how that plays out, right? <laughs> right. She's a front roast um, roller coaster adrenaline junkie. You know, she's just a hoot. And to anyone who is ever concerned that as they help their child improve, that some of those quirky traits and the things that we love about our kids the most might dissipate, they do not. <laughs> I think okay. that she keeps all of that in spades. You keep the personality, but if you can help your child, but isn't that? Don't you love that? Yeah. Don't you love that though? I mean, that yeah. that's still that's Absolutely. that's her personality. And that's I who think she is. Yeah. People worry about that so badly when they're talking about helping their kids, right? They say, Oh, well, I'm worried that if I that somehow or another I'm impacting who they are. I think that who they are mm-hmm. stays true no matter what. But if we can get rid of the headaches and the stomach aches and help them sleep a little bit yes. better at night, then we kind mm-hmm. of owe that to them to help them manage yeah. that. I um yeah. I've been, I've told this to people more than once, but I have two children. I have a son and a daughter. My son's two years older. 
And I just feel like if my obligation to him is to help him be the best human he can be, the most vital member of society he can be, to teach him well and to lead him well, why would I do anything less for my daughter? So mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't distinguish a difference other than just what you have to pour into them is different. <clears throat> they learned a long time ago yeah. that life wasn't going to be fair between the two of them. He was going to have more opportunities to mm. do some things and she was going to have more opportunities to do other things. And it was never yeah. going to be a check and balance moment in our, in our kids' lives being mm-hmm. raised. Yeah. And, you know, I think so often people look at our families and all they can see is, you know, they just see, um, Certain things they're not able to see, obviously, behind the curtain of what life is like for our family, you know, day in and day out. And so, what is something you think that people might be surprised about your daughter or about your family if they were just to take a quick glance? If they were able to look a little bit deeper, what do you think they might be surprised about? I think that they'd be surprised that we're perfectly imperfect. You know, um, sometimes when you try to go out into the world and encourage other people, they think that you've got it all together. And none of us have it all together. (laughs) I think that that might be the one thing that I would encourage folks to know the most is that you don't have to have it all together. You know, Mm -hmm. I have a lot of friends, you know, when I talk about some of Lindsay's gains, some of that has been based on diet and, you know, doing some things of that nature. I have some friends that have done remarkable stuff with their children, far cry more strict about what they're doing and how they're doing it and the time and the effort they're pouring into it. And I look at that and I think, man, I wish I could be that Mm -hmm. good at it. And I'm not. We have our line in the sand and I know what I can accomplish and what I can't accomplish. I have other people that I look up to for a number of different reasons. But I mean, at the end of the day, we're still just an average family that you know, enjoys yeah. being around each other most of the time. Well, fuss yeah, most a little yeah. bit of time. We'll fuss yeah. about things yeah. that aren't important, and you know, mm-hmm. we just keep going. But don't don't ever feel like you're not doing enough. As long as you're pouring in as much as you can do, then that's enough. And yeah. it doesn't have to be any perfect, beautiful picture. It just has to be what you can do. But I think that folks yeah. would probably be surprised if they came home with me one day. They'd be like, really. This is with your house. You don't straighten it up every day perfectly. And wait a minute, there's stuff out over here. And <laughs> yes, yes, there is. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's yeah. real life. And I think you know, so often, you know, especially in those younger years, we see people doing certain things, and it's like, oh, I've got to try this, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do you know all these things. But ultimately, God has the path for each one of our kids, mm-hmm. and so the things that maybe I felt led to do for my son would be different than maybe what you felt led to do. And so, you know, when we just cheer each other on and give each other the grace to do what we feel like, you know, the path that we're supposed to be on for our kids to help them, then, you know, they're going to be right where they need to be. I I loved, I just did an interview a couple of weeks ago with Johnny Erickson Tata. And one of the things she said, she talked about how, Parents get so worked up about their kids and so concerned about, you know, the things that they're dealing with. And he, but she said, God gives them special grace to be able to handle mm. their diagnosis, what they're dealing with. And I thought, oh, thank you for saying that, because that's so true. We, I think we put so much pressure on ourselves as parents, trying to make all the things work when God's like, I've got a plan. And if you'll talk to me, I'll help you figure, you know, figure that out. And so... You know, when you look back to those early years, what were some of those biggest challenges that maybe your family faced 
what were some of the things that you had to deal with? But, but then how did God help you navigate through some of those challenges? So I think that when I talk to most new parents that are recently diagnosed, they might struggle. Um, and I found a few commonalities that we all cry in our cars after IEP meetings from time to time. Like that's, that's yes. one of those. Yes, we do. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much you prepare yourself going into that meeting when you're sitting around 10 other people and they are all for hopefully the best of intentions telling you your child's deficit so that they can try to help improve them. By the time you get to the ninth deficit, you're kind of beaten down. It's mm-hmm. death by a thousand yeah. paper cuts. And, um, you know, those moments are universally true. The, I think that one of the early on times that I struggled, and this sounds this sounds so bad, but it's honest, was I realized that there was going to be different images in my mind, things that I had planned for our family that weren't going to come together, right? Like mm-hmm. there were going to be family vacations that we weren't going to be able to afford to do. There were going to be memories that we weren't going to be able to make as I had somehow or another dreamt up in my head over the last couple of years. Um, I feel like when our children were handed to us in the hospital, like as soon as they're handed to us, somehow or another, we have this entire life projected in our minds of all of the things that they're going to say and do and be and become. And I mean, shoot, Jackson was two when Lindsay was born and I already had pictured how he was going to be able to drive her to high school because they were going to be only a couple of years apart. I mean, this is moments. (laughs) I'm still in the hospital bed and I'm picturing these things. And so when people are giving you these diagnoses and they're taking those moments away or you're taking away a family vacation or something that you've dreamt of and you haven't even realized that you dreamt of it, but now it's just an opportunity that feels like is being stolen from you. It, it hurts. And I think it's okay to sit in that moment and to feel the emotion of this isn't how I thought this was supposed to go, but right. to collect yourself after that and say, but I can't just stop here. You know, it's mm-hmm. too important that, you know, our kids are sometimes hard to understand and hard to get engaged with. But once you do, you know, it's a beautiful connection that you have and it's a great perspective. But I'm thinking about how hard it is for them to connect with other people. So you have no choice as their parent to be their champion. You've got to be the person that fights for them. Nobody else is going to. And so if you're going to sit there for a moment in that moment of sorrow that this isn't what you planned, this isn't how it was supposed to go, this isn't what I had hoped for with whatever the scenario is, it's okay for that moment. But then you have to look back at that child's face and look at them and say, but we're going to keep moving and we're going to keep figuring this out together because, you know, you owe that to them. And I think that when you say, how has God helped me with that? I think, um, I think that God gave me patience through Lindsay and it's still something that I'm working Mm -hmm. on. Right. Like I didn't have it initially. That was the virtue that was lacking out of my life is Mm -hmm. patience. I I can (laughs) relate. All right, here we go. We're going to give you Lindsay. Let's see if you can't gain some patience now. Right. And it was through her diagnosis and it was through seeing all these other people in the community kind of rallying around her and working with her in different ways that, you know, this, this love and kindness and friendship that kind of came with it, that I was able to slow down. I was able to have more patience, still not my best virtue. <laughs> Let's be honest. I like things yeah. very quickly in a world that I can acquire something quickly, but I do appreciate that that story unfolded that way. So that the Janetta before Lindsay isn't nearly as great of a person as the Janetta after Lindsay. 
I can, I can tell you mm-hmm. that hands down. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could say the same thing about myself and especially the patience piece. Cause I think about like, you know, when you have a, a child who moves at a different pace, who has to do things a certain way or in a certain order or likes things a certain way, you know, you've, you've got to kind of die to yourself in some of those areas that maybe we were more controlling about, but boy, it, it, that's a lesson that you're not going to learn otherwise. Mm-hmm. And so I love how our kids teach us things that, that even in the hard, that I'm like so grateful for now. We'd like to take a moment to celebrate some amazing heroes in the special needs community. We're talking about the siblings. You know, the extra responsibilities they face, the flexibility they must have, and the sometimes missed memories are just a part of what it means to be the sibling of a child with special needs. For that reason, we created a fun event for them called The Sib Show. We'd love for you to check out this free download for the special needs sibling in your life. You can find it at risingaboveministries.org or on the Rising Above app. I love how our kids teach us things that, that even in the hard that I'm like so grateful for now. And, you know, our society, um, talking about instantaneousness, and I'm sorry if I cut you off just now, but talking about that, it's so funny to me that those of us that deal with any type of hardship can oftentimes enjoy and embrace the beauty of life when those moments are given to us that much more. And so it sounds counterproductive to say, aren't we the lucky ones? But I feel like in so many respects, we really are, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I get that there are going to be people that say you're nuts. <laughs> this is, you know, I would much yeah. rather a life that didn't have the hardships that I'm going through. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you that the first time that Lindsay spoke and it was meaningful, man, was I hanging mm-hmm. on her every word. And the first time that she yeah. told me that she loved me, oh, my gosh, it, it was the most empowering thing that I've ever heard. And it was mm-hmm. um, so it's hardships that sometimes make us be able to appreciate those moments of beauty a bit better. Yeah, totally, totally agree with that. And, you know, it was out of your your experience with your daughter, out of her life, that you became inspired to be an advocate and a speaker for people living in the, the, the disability space. And so share with us about that. Share, share about your nonprofit sure. and some of the things that you do to help and encourage families like ours. Yeah. So as I mentioned, it was a feeling of paying it forward that we really wanted to do. And I had the real uncomfortable conversation of needing to tell my husband, hey, you know, the corporate job that helps pay a lot of our bills. I think I'm going to stop that and start a nonprofit. <laughs> I got to have that conversation. Which, you know, what? Yeah. Fortunately, he, yeah. he knows who he married and he was, you know, a big supporter of it. He always has been. But when we started the nonprofit, the vision was something that I thought surely was already being done and probably being done well by somebody else. You know, I was just a matter of time before I discovered it. But I was the person that daydreamed about workshops, which sounds odd, but you're getting to know me right now. (laughs) I thought all of this information is scattered everywhere. And people would often tell you, especially if you have a young child being diagnosed with autism, they say early intervention, early intervention, that's what you've got to do. And you say, okay, I'll do it. But nobody tells you what the it is. Mm -hmm. Like you don't know where to start and you don't know what the therapies are and you don't know what an IEP stands for. And you don't know what the government benefits are that you're supposed to be signing. Like all of it's just like a shotgun pellet that's gone off and it's a thousand different things to chase 
and you don't know the name of what you're chasing. So I thought, wouldn't it be amazing if we brought all of those elements together and put them in a workshop so that somebody that just got diagnosed understands what the definition of all these different therapies are. You know, somebody that's child is speaking may not understand that speech therapy is for comprehension. Somebody whose child is being asked to do occupational therapy and they're thinking about it in some terms of vocational stuff doesn't understand that that occupational therapist might be able to distinguish if they're left-handed or right-handed before anybody else, right? So there's benefits to just knowing what these different therapies are that you're being encouraged to know. But then also the government benefits and IEPs and self-care, which so many of us are failures at, but should be better at. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. knowing what some of these different insights are from doctors from, you know, they've spoken from around the world on talking about aggression and language development. But if you could put all that together in one package and somebody could just say, OK, here's my master course, I'm going to go through this, then I can navigate that's what we did with accessibility. So we have that program for accessibility, and that was what was the catalyst for all of Abilities Workshop. It was soon after that we decided we needed to do one for families that had been on the journey for a minute. So developability, kind of helping catch kids up to their chronological age best we could. And dreamable, helping kids transition into adulthood, all new mountains, all new mm -hmm. things to worry about, guardianship and where you're going to live and how you're going to get around. These are all things to really consider and to work out. Um, working with teachers and working with pastors was always very important to me because I felt like it was a three pillar stool that we were standing upon. We needed parents to fight for their kids, teachers to understand our kids and faith communities to support them. When you get all three of those elements, that's when our kids tend to shine and be their best. So we wanted to make sure that the gen ed teachers had resources that they could understand. We wanted to make sure that churches knew where they could go because sometimes they don't always look at embracing our kids the same way. They think if they've got a handicap, you know, ramp and railing up that they've checked that box. And you go, oh, not really. Right. <laughs> and I yeah. know that there are resources. So much are, more to that. Right? Yeah. I know that their resources are limited. I know that their, you know, um, volunteers are limited and that some of our families don't even show up, you know, just the mom or just the dad will show right. up. So they don't even know that John is sitting at home, but you know, helping them if they're trying to find what they can do was important to us. And so we, you know, developed programs for all of those fronts, as well as a podcast and online database and publications that go out throughout the Southeast to, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. Because the purpose is, if we can be a resource, if we can be that hub, we want to be that. We have had the good mm -hmm. fortune of working with so many people across this country that sounds very Pollyanna of me when I say this, but I go, we'll be your switchboard operator. You don't have to be interested in anything that we do. Call us, let us be a safe mm -hmm. place for you to land, and we'll try to point you on to the person that we know has the answer if we don't already. And I know that it sounds naive. Oh, well, how are you going to do this or that? But you know what? God's telling us that this is exactly what we're supposed to do. And fortunately, we're able to help a good many people doing it. Um and just trying to do right by our community as a whole. That mm -hmm. That's the end of the story, right? Like yeah. as long as we're doing right by the kids and we're trying to do right by the parents, that's all we can do. Yeah. And along the way, we end up making some really cool relationships with a lot of people that, that are out here trying to have the same same effort. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm that person that says, hey, we can all work together. I'm right. always going to believe right. that we can work together because yeah. abilities doesn't exist 
without collaboration. Had Mm -hmm. it not been for you wanting to work on that faith project with us, had it not been for some of our other experts wanting to lend their time and talent to accessibility or dreamable, then all it would be is me as a mom saying, you can do it. (laughs) Right. right. But abilities is nothing more than a collaboration effort. And the more that we all work together, the better it is for everyone. Yeah. Well, how do people access what you, all these resources that you have? So our website is abilitiesworkshop.com. And I think it's pretty user-friendly to navigate. But if you have any questions, of course, just go to the contact page, send us an email, and we'll reach out to you and kind of guide you. But our phone number's at the bottom. Our, um, and I, I told you already, just call us. Like, really, just call yeah. us. And people say, what? Are you sure? I mean, I was at a um, symposium a couple weeks ago, and a lady was telling me, she says, oh, well, I need to get my son an identi- um, identification card from the DMV with a designation on it. And she goes, and I don't know how to do this or I don't. And I said, I have the form on my desktop oh, right now. I'm goodness. filling it out for yeah. my daughter. I'm like, I know exactly what you need. All you have to do is email me. And she just looked at me like, really? Like, what you're really going to help you. me? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Just please email me. I don't have it with me. It's not in my pocket. Mm-hmm. I'm here at this symposium, but I can email it to yeah. you as soon as I get back to my desk. And after a little bit of persuasion, she did. But, you know, sometimes people just don't realize that we genuinely yeah. want to help. All you have to do is call. It doesn't have to benefit us. It's so much almost, I mean, like I'd love nothing more than like that situation when you've got a family who is needing help with something and you have the resource right there. It's like, of course, I want to help you. I don't want you to have to go digging like I did to get what I need. Right. Here you go. Here's here's what, you, you know, here's how you can get this. And some um, of these things are so random, but some of them are what we do. And to have somebody who's already gone before, already got it, you know, there for you and can help you out. So, so beautiful. Well, you know, when you're looking and, at some of the families that you work with and some of the organizations you work with, what do you think, is some of the most misunderstood things about our families, people living with disabilities. Like what do people look at our families and they're like, they just don't understand really what our family life looks like. And then how do you go about and what you do with what the resources that you provide, do you go about trying to change that narrative? So I will talk about grieving a diagnosis to a number of different groups um, throughout the course of the year. And it, It's an opportunity to help people understand that this diagnosis and that dream that I talked about at the beginning, once that vision kind of becomes shattered, you have families stuck in different stages along the way. So you have some families that are paralyzed with fear and they're not, they're not functioning and they're not doing anything because they're terrified of what that diagnosis really means, you know, so it's almost like they're paralyzed in this fear and denial stage and you don't understand why they're not moving. <laughs> they're like, come on, mm-hmm. let's go, let's do. And they're just right. kind of stuck. And then you have families that um, are go-getters that are, you know, people like what I feel like I would identify as is this whole challenge accepted group. And you're out there and you're just, you know, knocking down doors trying to find answers. But, you know, those families are oftentimes just held together kind of like an eggshell. You know, they're, they're fighting as hard as they can and they're doing as much as they can. But man, they're just, they're holding it together. You think that they're the strongest person you've met, but they're really just holding them together by a threat, right? Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Like that's an insight for that, that fighter family understand that they're pouring everything they've got into their child or into their family, but they might not have it together as well as you would think. And then you have some that I think that um, get bitter 
And I think that the bitterness is also more of a paralyzed um, feeling where they just, they don't, they don't fully accept what's going on. So they get frustrated about what's going on. And I don't know that those people, even though they can come across really harsh and sometimes mean, I don't think that it comes from a place of meanness. It comes usually mm-hmm. from a place of fear and worry and uncertainty for their child's future. Yeah. And the more that you can understand that none of these different groups have it all together, <laughs> the better off you're going to be with having grace and patience for them, yeah. you know, no matter what their personality type is, just kind of approach them with a little bit of cushion. I mean, mm-hmm. I know we're talking about special needs families right now, but just in general, I would love for that to be a practice of society, right? Because yeah. nobody knows what other people are going through. None mm. of us understand all of the hardness yeah. that life can throw at you. But just as a practice of not being the quick one to be judgmental, not being the quick one to respond to harshly, to just kind of give a little bit of space on those moments that you go, I probably don't know everything that's happening here. And um, you had said something to me ages ago, and I promise you that it still sticks in the back of my mind. Uh-oh. You said that there was, I, I know, watch out. But I, um, I think about this from time to time because I think I was guilty of saying it. And you said to some, in some respect, instead of telling a mother, I don't know how you do it, tell them you're doing a great job. Mm. Instead of that, I don't know how you, well, they, they're doing it because they have no other option. And right. telling them that they're doing a great job is affirming. And I think mm-hmm. that that's the approach that we should have with all of our families, right? Like, yeah. don't point out the deficits. They already know them. <laughs> We're very well. well aware. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but telling somebody that they're doing a great job or telling mm-hmm. them, you know, hey, I see that you're trying really yeah. hard at this. How can I help? And mm-hmm. Or do you ever just need to talk to somebody? You know, those are the things that really matter yeah. to most of us um, of just being seen because mm-hmm. so often we're isolated and we're afraid to have our kids be the disruptive yeah. one out and about. And so it's, um, yeah, just be kind to one another. If we all did this to everyone, if we were all kind and compassionate and offered grace to not just special needs families, but to everyone, what a better place this world would be, you know? Now you know why I call myself a dream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's just dream and let's do it ourselves and hopefully it'll catch on. So if everybody listened right. to this podcast and listened to your stuff would do that, at least the ripple effect just with the people we know would be huge. So, you know, and everybody wants to be seen. Everyone wants to be acknowledged. And like you said, we don't, we already know all our faults. Like we, we, we are the hardest on ourselves, but to be able to just to say someone, you're doing a great job. I see you. Mm-hmm. I see all you know, and people can't see in our homes. They don't know what the day-to-day looks like, but they see the love and care that we have for our kids. And to have that acknowledged just can mean the world. Um, You know, you're doing great things with your nonprofit. And, you know, but as you look to the future, what are some of the things that you're most excited about? What are some of the projects and things you have coming up? So I think that the project that we were, that I'm going to continue to be really excited about is that we um, released Lovable last year. And that's for families in crisis, because I feel like as much as we help families that are navigating things, if we weren't helping the ones that were homeless or the ones that were having law enforcement encounters or worried about suicide prevention, then we probably weren't doing 
our job. And so I'm always going to be happy that that program exists. We're doing some crazy cool fundraisers this upcoming year um, that that hopefully will, you know, restock some of the um, coffins for us to continue to do fun things. But when I say crazy cool, I'm talking about like we're, we're having people rappel down high rises this year. So it's, oh my. <laughs> it's okay. a whole, whole new world of fundraising, <laughs> which is, you know, my mindset right now of us looking at 2024 and looking at budgets and stuff. So that's kind of fun as far as just having a fun activity day. But our goal is to continue each one of these programs forward to make sure that those newly diagnosed families are getting the information about accessible, that um, our accessibility, that the families that have kids that are transitioning into adulthood, how do we get our name into all of those different guidance counselors' hands so that those families feel a little bit better prepared as their kid leaves high school and goes into adulthood? You know, we've got to work harder at um, getting it teachable into all of the different programs because that's really a golden nugget that sits out there for a lot of these gen ed teachers that through no fault of their own don't know anything about special needs kids other than the fact they keep getting them put in their classroom every year and they don't know how to implement IEPs and they don't know how to you know calm everything down and it's tough for them and it's not fair to them to not have that education so helping them understand what tools are available to them is very important. And we just yeah. keep marching on. And I um, I get to go to different conferences, as you mentioned. And every now and again, I have somebody come up to me and they will talk to me and they will say something. And you realize just the amount of information that you or I carry in our heads that so many of these families do not. You know, mm-hmm. it can be such a basic question. I had a um, grandmother say to me not long ago. She says, yeah, I pick up my son and he has a diagnosis and she picks him up from school every week because there's a problem. Every week she's picking him up from school. He is 14 years old. Every week he's picked up and she did not know what an IEP was. Um, So the system has failed her for 14 years. This child has had a diagnosis and not an IEP in place, not an education plan that supports him. And she's been picking and you go, how is that possible? And that's Mm -hmm. kind of the... Um, fuel that fire, you know, that lights that fire inside of me because you say, we've got to do better than this. These families have got to know the resources Mm -hmm. that are available to them. And sometimes those don't make it beyond our own echo chambers. And so continuing Mm -hmm. to find ways to get in front of those families is really important for us to continue to focus on this upcoming year. Yeah, so good. And you're doing lots of great work. And I just appreciate all the things that you do. And we'll be seeing each other at a conference here in a couple of months. So that'll be right. That will be nice. I get to see yeah. Uh, yep, that's going to be fun. <laughs> and so as we close out, let me ask you, what are ways that you rise above your circumstances and you find joy in your story? I feel like with Lindsay, with Jackson, with any person that has a child to tune out, whether they're special needs or not, to tune out the whole world and to tune them in and really sit in their presence and talk to them about what's important to them and just laugh with them and enjoy things. In that moment, it provides all the perspective that you need in life. That, you know, no matter what gadget you were hoping to buy them or no matter what you were trying to do here, or what experience you were trying to have unfold there, none of it matters. What matters is your time spent with your kids, right? Like that's the resource that they'll never be able to get back again. 
And so for me, if there's a tough moment or a tough day and I can sit down and I can be just with my kids and just with my family, you know, if my husband and I can just be present in that moment with them, then it shifts our whole way of thinking. You mm-hmm. know, we're able to embrace what's important. And so, you know, always through prayer, that I don't think ever changes. I think that as long as you have a good relationship with God and the more you have a relationship with God, and I think that he gave Lindsay this diagnosis to call me back into a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Had it um, not been for Lindsay's diagnosis, a fun little tidbit, and I promise I'll wrap it up quick, but Lindsay was diagnosed and the church that we were going to is a very large church. Never when Matt and I chose to go to that church was it because we thought, oh, you know, this is going to be great for X, Y, and Z reason. A lot of why we chose to go there was the anonymity that we could come and go without people being up in our business. Like, you know, this is yeah. what young married couples choose churches for. Want to be able to attend church, don't want everybody to know everything's going on in our life. So we'd chosen this church for that reason. Never in my wildest dreams would I have expected that years later, when we have a daughter that's diagnosed with autism, that they would have a buddy program at that church where somebody was volunteering with her to be with her in Sunday school every Sunday morning mm-hmm. so that we could go into church yeah. together. And the accountability that came with that was just uncharted because I wasn't going to let somebody that was showing up early to be there with my daughter, you know, I wasn't going to no show on them. So we start going to church every Sunday because somebody's there waiting for us. And so we start going to church every Sunday and you know what happens? You get a relationship with God like you've never known. And Mm -hmm. when you get that relationship with him, that's the reason that, you know, I was baptized as a child, but I was baptized again as an adult. And all of that roots back to a diagnosis. So when I tell you that I'm a better Janetta post-Lindsay yeah. and diagnosis than I was before, absolutely hands down. And so yeah. always through prayer, always through a relationship with God, does that help you rise above your circumstances? But the quiet moments with your family, like just really tuning out everything else, setting down the phone, setting down the TV and just having meaningful conversation and laughing about something or dancing to something silly in the kitchen, you know, turn up the music, enjoy life and... Yeah that that usually will help center me. That's so great. Well, Janetta, thank you so much for your time. I've enjoyed getting to hear more of your story and more of the things that you have available for families. And I just appreciate all you're doing. And I look forward to seeing you here in a couple of months. Yeah, absolutely. What a privilege to be with you. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Rising Above with Becky Davidson, created and produced by Rising Above Ministries. To learn more about us and our resources for special needs families, visit risingaboveministries.org or download our free app. If you've enjoyed listening and want to hear more, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review. You can always share it to encourage a friend. And remember, joy can be found in every story.